thank you, Josh. Appreciate that so much. And uh, it is true. God is ready for us to turn to Him and seek His face. I appreciate Josh doing that this morning. Um, it was supposed to be a duet, and I appreciate his flexibility uh, because the duet partner died. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think quite. <laughs> Is, is Benson here? Is Benson here? Okay. All right. He's, he's not dead, but almost. So he looks. No, I won't say anything. Uh, we all love Benson, right? <clears throat> but I appreciate Josh's flexibility and going ahead and singing that. And I um, appreciate that so much. Well, take your Bibles this morning, please. Turn to the book of Psalms book of Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 33. Musicians look at praise today. You know, in our day and time, a lot of people talk about praise. They have praise teams. They have worship teams. They have uh, all of these things, and it seems like a lot of emphasis on praise, but a lot of confusion also as to what that means and what kind of praise we are to give to God. And uh, just like last semester, I, I spoke on the subject of music, so we're going to come back and kind of have part B today, and uh, hopefully that'll just help us all. You know, I, I have no axe to grind. Well, maybe I do a little bit, but uh, not really. I just, I'm concerned that people think biblically about music because there's so much uh, opinion out there. There's so much practice. There's so much things that just seem to disregard completely what the Bible says. So as Christians and as those who love the Lord and believe the Bible, we ought to be very interested in seeing what the Bible says about it. This uh, semester I'm teaching song leading in Christian or church music administration, okay, CMA. And uh, so one of our projects, all of the students are looking up every reference in the Word of God that has to do with music. They're writing them down. They're making comments about it. And hopefully, okay, if you haven't already started, you better get started, right? And uh, because why? We need to see what the Bible says about this subject that is so controversial and this subject that we will face in our ministries uh, as long as we are in ministry. Uh, there's no time that we won't face questions and uh, maybe we could say problems about this. But in the book, book of Psalms, in uh, Psalm 33, there are 22 verses here. We're going to look at them all. And so schedule eight, here we come. No, no, not really. We're, we're going to do things uh, hopefully very quickly and uh, succinctly so that we can, and then you can study on your own, all right? But Psalm 33 begins in verse 1 by saying, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that we do not have to wonder about what is right, but that you guide us through Scripture and through scriptural principles into what is right. And I ask that you would bless today as we look at this subject of praise, of music, of singing, 
that you would help illuminate our hearts and our minds. And we pray that this would just be an encouragement and a blessing and profitable to us all here today. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You find out as you study a subject or, you know, maybe just a story, whatever, you're usually interested in the who, what, why, when, where, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to answer some of those questions uh, this morning from Psalm uh, 33 about music. We're going to start out with the who. Uh, the who. Who do we praise? Uh, you know, it's interesting to, to uh, note the importance of it. And the, and the psalmist here, David, uh, points this out very clearly in the first three v- verses that we just read. Uh, who are we to praise with our music? It's important to realize that uh, because it is a foundation for everything else that we believe about music. The psalmist says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. So first of all, he's saying rejoicing where? In the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Then he says, Praise the Lord with harp. Uh, it's enjoyable to hear the harps, the actual harps play, isn't it? But praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him. So we're singing who, to who? We're singing to the Lord with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. That's more instrumental. Uh, verse 3 is more vocal. Sing unto him a new song. Then it goes back to instrumental. Play skillfully with a loud noise. So th- these verses, along with... Uh, a myriad of other verses in the Word of God talk about the direction of our music. Our praise is to God. Our music is to God. And that is foundational because it affects what we think about music and what, what kind of music we embrace, what kind of music that we use, what kind of music that we listen to, because the Bible is very clear that our praise, our music is to, is to God. And verse after verse after verse after verse, as you look up verses in the Word of God about music, talks about singing to God, bringing praise to God, glorifying His name, and bringing honor to Him. And so with that in our mind, you say, Brother Joel, why is that so foundational? Because if if we evaluate music, and as we evaluate music, if we realize that we have that foundational truth that our music's direction is to God then the big question is not what do I like or what does somebody else like or what does somebody else approve of, but what would God approve of? Because this music is to Him. It is to glorify Him. It is to praise Him. And I spent a while on that last semester, and although some of you weren't here to, uh, to hear that, we're not going to take a lot of time with it this morning, other to say that that is the who, that's the big who of music, We are to praise God Almighty, and we'll come back to some thoughts about that later on. But who is to praise? While we're looking at who, we're looking at who to praise, and now who is to praise? It's interesting here uh, in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 2, how we're to praise the Lord. But it's talking about who? It's talking about Christians. Here it comes right out and says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Now that word comely is something that we don't use a whole lot in our vernacular. We don't go around uh, too much saying that's comely or whatever. But in this instance, that word comely has the idea of something that is being suitable, something that's suitable 
or something that is becometh or becoming. To, so the Bible here is saying it is suitable, it is right, it is fitting that the righteous praise God. Do you find yourself sometimes just going down the road, maybe in a car, and just, you know, you may start singing, Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, and just praising God? Uh, one of my favorite gospel songs is, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And I just find myself breaking out in songs sometime. And uh, I hope you do too. Why? Because we as Christians need to have an attitude, a constant attitude of praise to God. And as you live your life, you find out that it is, it's not unusual. It's suitable. It's something that is fitting when we are righteous, when we love the Lord, when we're in tune with God. So who is to praise God? We as Christians. And you'll find out that it's easier and easier to do as you are right with God. So we're to praise God, first of all, and we are to praise God, second of all. So uh, then thirdly, see how quickly this is going? Kind of right now. Uh, thirdly, why do we praise? Why do we praise? Well, first of all, it's commanded. Throughout scriptures, you don't find option. Here it doesn't say if you feel like it, if you don't have a toothache, praise the Lord, right? It just says, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. It says, praise the Lord. And you will find command after command, just like that instruction after instruction in the Word of God, that it is commanded to praise God and to glorify God. And, you know, God knows what's good for us. He really does. Have you ever kind of awakened to find yourself kind of in a sour mood? You know, maybe you didn't get as much sleep as you thought you should. Maybe something else happened. Uh, maybe you had a test in Dr. Lucan's class that day or something, you know, and you were just feeling just, just a little bit low. It's amazing how st taking a few minutes to praise God will help you. Praise Him in prayer. We're not going to be talking about that right today, but praise Him in music. One of the easiest ways to praise God, and time and time and time again in Scripture, it talks, it links praising God with singing because it's so easy to do so. And when you get out of bed that day feeling a little bit low, when you feel a little bit discouraged, just try praising God a little bit and try singing a song. It is amazing how soon you will be feeling much better, all right? So it's commanded of us, and it is good for us. Uh, the Scriptures, and God obviously knows, when my people praise me, it is good for them. Not only do they get to praise me in, in regards to a commandment that I've given them, but it also will lift their spirits. It will draw them close to me. Praise is good. Why do we praise Him? Because it's, because it's commanded and because it is good for us. It's a benefit to us. It is good to us. And then fourthly this morning, what do we praise? Now, this is going to take a little bit longer, but I hope this morning it's not going to take a real long time because I have other things to say, all right? Uh, we've, we've read verses 1 through 4, but uh, we have a lot of P's here to put down, okay? For what do we praise? You know, if you're ever, if you're ever uh, in doubt about what can I praise God about? What can I 
uh, thank him for, then the psalmist reminds us of a lot of things in the last part of this chapter that we can praise him for. First of all, we can praise him for the perfection of his character. The perfection of his character. Look at verses 4 and 5. We read 4 a while ago, but, our, but let's read both today, right now. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Aren't you glad we have a God of truth, of righteousness, of goodness? And we can praise him for the perfection of his character. Do you ever get tired of folks lying to you? I, I do, you know. Uh, whenever you hear a politician speak, unfortunately, in our day and time, you can almost think they're probably lying to me as well as they're telling the truth. You know, there was a time when someone got up to speak, you could, you could be convinced in your heart, at least they think they're telling the truth. But I, that's, that's no longer true, is it? You know, you have someone that they get up and, and it's amazing. They will tell you a lie after lie after lie and just act like that is just something that's normal. I'm glad we have a God who we can go to the scripture and realize that we're getting truth. We're getting something that is right. We're getting something that is righteous. We're getting something that is good for us because of the perfection of his character. There is no deficiency in God's character. So we can praise him for the perfection of his character. We can praise him for his power in creation. Look at verses 6 through 9 where the Bible says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. My, what a God we have. What a God in creation. Now, this is one of the reasons it is such a travesty, such, uh, so diabolical that this idea, this theory of evolution has just permeated our society. In fact, it permeates the thinking of some Christians. You know, they try to figure out how they can justify evolution with God. You know, and you don't need to. You just need to take God as the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And in the beginning, God created everything. And you don't have to justify what the world thinks with what God is or who he is or what he's done. We can praise God for his power in creation. Here it says, he just spake. Uh, he, it, it didn't even take any work on his part. It says that he, he spoke and, or he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Let all the earth, verse 8 says, fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You know, you have to think that some one day Satan said, how can we reduce society's respect for God? How can we reduce the awe for God? And he came up with a great plan, didn't he? Because if people can be convinced that things just happened, then why do I need to respect God? What, what do I owe to God? Who is he? But we can praise him for his power in creation. We can praise him for his protection of his people. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Look at verse 16. 
There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. Verse 17, and horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Uh, the ensemble, as we travel this year, and uh, we've done it for chapel also, uh, sing the song, Some Trust in Chariots, But I'm Going to Trust in the Lord. Here, it's a reminder, God's protection for us. Uh, we don't trust in horses. We don't trust in other things. We trust in God's protection for his people. Uh, number next, I think it's about five, all right? We can praise him for the permanency of his word. Look at verse 11. It says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Aren't you glad that God's word is something that is permanent? The permanency of God's word. You know, when you get to be uh, my age, one of the joys of being a little bit older and lived for a while and having five kids, that you can have a bunch of grandkids, all right? We have 15 grandkids. And if you don't believe that's a bunch, you spend Christmas with 15 kids, all right? You will find out that is a bunch. And, uh, but it, it is a wonderful thing as a grandfather to know that God's word is just as good, is just as applicable. It will be just as much a blessing uh, for my five-year-old granddaughter as it, it was for me and as it is for me. So we can praise him for the permanency of his word. We can praise him for the prospect of his blessing. Look at verse 12 where the Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. I think a, uh, obviously a direct reference to the children of Israel. But you know, as Christians, we've been grafted in and we can also claim the blessings of God if we do what God wants us to do. We can praise him for the prospect of his blessing. And I was thinking as, as Josh was singing that, uh, the song this morning about how God, uh, when we turn to him, he, it's, he's going to bless us. And uh, we can praise him for that. Uh, number next, we can, we can praise him for the proof of his care. Look at verse 13 where the Bible says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He goes on to say, He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. Well, this can be a blessing and a little bit scary also, can it not? When the Bible says that he, from the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. When it says that he considers, considereth all their works, you know, God sees everything, doesn't he? God sees how we interact with our roommates. He sees how we interact with our parents. He sees how we interact with temptation. God sees everything. But it, you know, it's, it's a little bit, attention getting but it also is a wonderful proof of his care you know if you don't care for someone then they're not even on your radar are they you know there are some folks that you know you don't you don't have you've not learned to love them you've not learned to know them you're not even maybe acquainted with them and they're just not even in your thoughts but as a wonderful proof of God's care God considers everything you do 
And if that shows nothing else, it shows that he cares for you. And he is concerned about you. And he watches over us as a proof of his care. And then lastly, under what do we praise? The Bible says we can praise him for his plentiful mercy. His plentiful mercy. Verses 18 through 22 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Well, I guess so. Uh, that's the only hope we have, isn't it, is the mercy of God. goes on to say in verse 19, To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So we can praise him for his plentiful mercy. So we've looked at who, who is to praise, who do we praise. We've looked at why do we praise, looked at what do we, uh, what do we praise. And uh, we want to close this morning, but don't get too excited about the word close, all right? On how do we praise. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? How do we praise? And that's one of the big questions in people's hearts and minds, how do we praise? As we look back at verses 4 and 5, it gives us a good idea here by the psalmist of how we praise God. In verse 4 it says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Now particularly note these next three words. He loveth righteousness. Do you get that? He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. As we think about how we're to praise God, how we're to worship God, we must remember if our praise is directed to Him, which it is, then we need to realize that He loves righteousness. What does that mean as we, as we think about this area of praise? First of all, it means that our praise then in singing is not going to be of the world, is it? If God loves righteousness, then is he going to love anything that is tainted by the world? No. He is, he is completely the opposite of the world. And so we find out that worldliness and praise just does not go hand in hand not because it doesn't feel good or because it maybe it doesn't sound good to people, but worldliness and praise do not go hand in hand because of the one we are praising. Because of His holiness, His righteousness, His love for righteousness. Can you imagine a righteous, holy God? We really can't uh, wrap our brains around that. But could you imagine a righteous, holy God sitting up in heaven saying, well, you know, uh, there's, there's somebody that's, that's saying they're praising me, but it sure sounds like the world. It sounds like there's a lot of world in there. And he's going to say, oh, well, that's okay because they said praise God in it. You know, not a righteous, holy God. Not the God that we see in the, in the Scripture. Not the, not the God who, uh, in the book of Isaiah, talks about getting a glimpse of the holiness of God. And the seraphim were there crying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah just fell on his face flat because of the impact of the holiness of God. Then how can we think that the world and, and its degradation is somehow going to be okay to praise God with something that sounds like it's from the world? 
You say, Brother Joel, what is worldly music? You know, some, some uh, folks will uh, say that the music doesn't really matter. Does it? Yes, it does. You know, you can't just dismiss half of the equation. You have a song you're saying that's praising God. You cannot say, oh, the music doesn't matter. Now, some people will try to say that, and we'll address that in just a moment, all right? Uh, the music doesn't matter. It's just the words that count. No, that's not true. You can't just forget part, part of it. And some people will even say it's more than half of it, as we see in just, just a moment. You can't just dismiss that. You've got to consider it as a whole and remember that God loveth righteousness. So what is, what is worldly music like then? Uh, if you say music is not amoral, music is not neutral, which is what we contend and what a lot of people uh, say, what does worldly music sound like? If God loves righteousness, what, what would he not love, all right? First of all, worldly music has an overemphasis of several things. You know, music is made up of melody and rhythm and harmony. All songs have those things, rhythm and uh, melody and rhythm and harmony. And the world just loves to take something and just, uh, you know, do too much of it. Just, just make it bad by... by, by you know, somehow overemphasizing it. Here, in music that is worldly, they love to have an overemphasis, first of all, of the beat, an overemphasis of the beat. As you, as you hear rock music, uh, for instance, uh, do you hear the melody wafting through the window of the car next to you as, as they play their rock music, you know? Uh, no, what you, what you hear is the beat, don't you? Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. And as they pull up beside you, what do you begin to feel? You begin to feel the beat. Boom, 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 boom. You know, what, do you, what does your muffler start doing as they pull up beside you? Their, their whole car is kind of rattling over there. Have you heard it, you know? And, uh, and then your muffler starts singing with their muffler. You know, boom, <laughs> boom, boom. And because it's made, they overemphasize that beat. When they're driving down the, down the road, they can be a mile away, basically, okay? And if you hear anything, uh, you don't hear the melody, do you? You hear the beat. You hear that beat. They overemphasize that beat. They overemphasize also syncopation. And uh, we talked a little bit about this the other time when I, when I spoke. Syncopation is when the emphasis of the song doesn't come on the beat, it comes off the beat. Instead of stand up, stand up for Jesus with the beat. Every song has a beat, okay? Uh, ye soldiers of the cross. Instead of with the beat, it's against the beat. So instead of ta, ta, it's ta, 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 pa, 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 pa. Now, I think you're laughing because Dr. Doyle is up here doing that, but... <laughs> But it also always brings a physical response. Why? Because there is a difference. There is a difference. You know, there's a different way to play music. There's a different way to, to uh, sing music. There's a different. And so much of the world, I think, is kind of an emphasis on that syncopation and different things that take away from the melody. The rhythm, the harmony should support that melody and not take away from the melody. I'm going to ask Mrs. Crow if she would come to the piano just for a minute. Now, this is a stretch for Mrs. Crow, all right, because Mrs. Crow does not play like this, and I'm not sure 
you know, how adept she is at really getting to what we want to get to. But, but we're going to show. Uh, she's going to play, just play a regular rendition of Mansion. Okay, I've got a mansion, right? So if we're singing this, just over the hilltop, da 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 You say, Brother, that's great, okay? Good. Now I'm going to have her play it again, and this time just try to do it, okay? Just, just do what you can do. Maybe she cut the live stream off about right now. <laughs> go, go right ahead. See what, see what you can do. And a little go. Oh my! <clears throat> She's a little better than I thought she was. <laughs> okay, you can be seated. You can be seated. <clears throat> Do you notice? There's a difference. All right. And what is the difference? Instead of you know the beat coming as it should, uh, the beat is a lot of times syncopated. It's off off center. And not only does it, it affect everything about the music, it affects us too. In fact, you know, some people say, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, let me, let me read you just a few things that uh, people, and th- these are not necessarily Christians. In fact, most of them are not. This, this first quote is from a secular source. Um, I, I could tell you, if, you, if you're interested, let you can ask me later, all right? Uh, but here's, here's their feeling on syncopation. It says, syncopation in music is the concept of playing rhythms that accent or emphasize the offbeats. It shifts or displaces a standard rhythm by stressing beats generally not stressed. The time signature of a piece of music identifies a consistent pattern of strong and weak beats, all right? And some of this might be a little bit going past some of you, but... But hang on, right? A syncopated rhythm shifts this pattern by emphasizing weak upbeats instead of the strong downbeats. Syncopation brings excitement to music, okay? Are we wanting to bring excitement to our praise to God? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly the right word. But uh, by playing with our expectations for where the beat should occur. This groove-inducing tactic. Now, this, this word groove, uh, I studied it some, but it's not good. You know, it's not good. Most people, and, and I think I have a quote here in a little bit about, agree that it's what causes you to want to dance to the music. This groove-inducing tactic brings, breaks away from the straight feel when every note falls on the expected beat. All right? Then, uh, another, another quote here, music... Genres like electronic dance, music, reggae, jazz, funk music, and rap use heavy syncopation. Listen to your favorite tracks from these genres and pay attention to how the artist used syncopation. This is from another source. Groove music is a distinctive uh, genre that emphasizes rhythm and feel over melody or harmony. I think you may have been grooving. I think you might have just been grooving a little bit there. It is characterized by its infectious beats and tight rhythms, creating a sense of movement that compels listeners to dance. 
Again, this is not from a, a sacred source. This is from a secular source. The term groove refers to the rhythmic pattern created by an ensemble of instruments, particularly drums, bass, and percussion, except interesting, the instruments they um, you know, associate that with, right? Another, another place says, when researchers ask participants to agree or disagree, strongly or otherwise, with a number of claims about groove, that, quote, groove depends on the extent to which the music makes you want to move, is not only very strongly agreed upon, but is also the most strongly agreed upon aspect of the groove. So this is a study about the groove in music, all right? Another, another source, instead of micro-timing variations, we find that tempo, uh, between 100 and 120 beats per minute, high levels of percussiveness, that's percussion, okay? <laughs> not, I was, it's not just cussedness, you know, or something. Percussiveness and syncopation, and they added syncopation in there, and clarity in the lower frequencies are responsible for groove attributions. So this, the world has an overemphasis on syncopation. Pretty clear, right? And it's that syncopation that tends to make you want to move to the music. What is that affecting then? Is it, is it affecting us spiritually? No, it's affecting us in our flesh. It's affecting us in our, our bodies. And it is, it is getting in the way of a spiritual blessing. And so we need to be careful about that. Does, does the, the music really matter? Yes, because it shouldn't be worldly. It shouldn't be like them. And syncopation is one of the things that they overemphasize. Another overemphasis of the world that makes worldly music sound like worldly is, uh, is an overemphasis of sensuality. They do that several ways. We don't have a lot of time to spend here. Maybe that'll be C, okay? Message C. But uh, uh, in sensuality, like uh, not hitting pitches on pitch, you know, they can't, they can't sing amazing grace. It's got to be amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You say, brother, I kind of like that. Well... If, whether you like it or not, I don't, I don't think you can di disagree that it is a, it is, if it were coming from someone else, you could see it was a sensual type sound, right? And they never hit those pitches on pitch. They, they've done it for years with microphone technique. You know, the closer you get to a microphone, the closer you feel like you are to the person that's speaking. You know? uh, can you turn this mic on just for a moment, the pulpit mic? Brother, Brother Ryan, that'll be good. So if the pulpit mic is on and I'm standing back a, a distance from it, it feels like my presence is right there. But the closer I get to the microphone, the closer <laughs> I get to you. Until I'm whispering in your ear. Right? So for years, worldly music, that they, anything that they can do to promote this sensuality. That's why for years before they started using more of the headsets and stuff, they would, you know, they would get as close as they could, you know, swallow the microphone and uh, get as close as they could uh, to present that sensuality. And so we need to be careful about worldly techniques, worldly things that make music sound like the world and give it its 
worldly flavor. Why? Because we're bringing praise and honor to God. You think a holy, righteous God's going to say, that's okay. No. If it's worldly, it's not of God. Does music really matter? Yes, it does. Because of the holiness of God. Does, is music amoral or neutral? No. Gave the little, def, a little illustration last time on, on the piano. Remember that? One note by itself. Sure, that's neutral or amoral. But when you put those notes together, just like when you put letters of a word together, you can make a word that glorifies God. You can make a, a song that glorifies God. Or you can make a song that is a little sens- on the sensual side, on the jazzy side, like we just heard not too, not too long ago, right, uh, from the piano. That, that piano is in shock still. <laughs> <laughs> and it probably will be for a while. Is music our moral or neutral? No. Listen to this. Here's uh, some more... Uh, quotes here and we're about done it is indisputable again these are from basic most of them from secular sources you know some we're not sure about because they're older or whatever but uh, this person a professor at a college says it is indisputable that music is one of the most powerful media humans have at their disposal music is made and used by human beings and humans are never morally neutral creatures Another quote, music is communication. Music is a form of nonverbal communication. Communication takes place without words. That's why you can be watching something and all of a sudden you know somebody's going to jump out from the bushes. Why? Because the music all of a sudden has changed to, from just a lilting whatever to dum, dum, bum, bum. They're coming. They're coming out from behind the bushes. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get run over, whatever. Why? Do they, do they put flash across the screen, scary part coming, scary part coming, scary part coming, somebody's going to jump out from the bushes? No, they just change the music. So how can you say that it just communicates with the words? No, music is communication. Music does communicate with us. This quote says, Music is communication. Music is of nonverbal communication. Communication takes place without words. Another quote. Sound has gained the upper sound. Sound communicates more than words. That was Professor so-and-so, all right? Again, not a a sacred uh, source. This next quote, music is curiously subtle art with innumerable varying emotional connotations. It is made up of many ingredients, and according to the proportions of those components, it can be soothing or invigorating, ennobling or vulgarizing. It has powers for evil as well as for good. You know, that's, that's again, uh, someone who's a former director of the Eastman School of Music not a sacred, you know, it's not Ambassador Baptist College, right? The next, this is from a magazine, a rock magazine, by the way. If people knew what today's pop music was saying, not what the words are saying, but what the music itself is saying, they would ban it, smash all records, and arrest anyone who tried to play it. Now, that's from a rock magazine, you know, so do they say music is amoral? No. Do they say music is neutral? No. Next quote. Rock is at its core carnality. 
Rock is completely self-absorbed and self-focused. And they said some other things that I don't even want to read. All right? Because I didn't put it down there because I didn't want to put it down. Next quote. Rock can't be made respectable. The music will simply subvert the words. See, the, see what it's saying? The music will simply subvert the words. Rock will always gravitate in the direction of violence and uncommitted lust. That was another professor at a secular college. How about if we go back some in history? And we, we could go on forever, but I want this last thing I'll, I'll quote this morning. Felix Mendelssohn <clears throat> remarked that music is more specific about what it expresses than words written about those expressions could ever be. Did you get that? The music is more specific about what it expresses than words written about those expressions could ever be. Is music amoral? Is it neutral? No, it is not. And it affects us in every way. Music has the ability to support the message. That's what you want it to do. It has the ability to distort the message or it has the ability to destroy that message because words don't stand alone. Did you, have you read the little sign? Is it, uh, we're having grandpa for supper? You know, or we're having grandpa for supper. Have, have you read that, you know? And uh, so it depends on how you say it, whether you're having grandpa for supper or, or you're having grandpa for supper, you know? Depends on how you say it. When you say, uh, that's a beautiful baby or that's a beautiful baby, uh, you know? <laughs> Words are interpreted. And in a song, the, the music interprets those words. Music is also important, and we don't have time to spend here, but it's our battle with the flesh. You know, in Romans 7, 18, Paul said that, for I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He was describing the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And he said, in his flesh is no good thing. And young people, as we listen to our music, what is the music that we're listening to or whoever's listening to, uh, what is it feeding? Is it feeding the flesh with worldly-type music, even music that leans toward the world? Or is it feeding our spirit? Is it really being a spiritual blessing? Is it really bringing praise and honor and glory to God Almighty. What are we going to give God? What kind of praise are we going to give Him? You know, whenever we think about giving someone a gift, and music is a gift, it's God's gift to us, and it's something we can give back to God, our praise, our music. As we think about a gift, we need to think about what would please that person, don't we? Uh, for instance, if I'm going to give an a anniversary present to my wife, we're coming up on, on our 50th anniversary, uh, not too long. Whew, wow. And uh, it, it just gets here quickly. It really does. It gets here quick, quicker than you think, especially when you're married at two like I was. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that funny. Okay. But suppose I'm going to buy her, buy her a gift. And uh, so suppose, suppose I go... Uh, to a real swanky place like Walmart or something like that, and and kind of get her get her a gift, all right. And um, so suppose you know my favorite aisles in Walmart are the ones that have like the tools and stuff, you know, stuff like that. 
And uh, so suppose I'm, I'm wandering around there and think, what can I get? What can I get Donna for our anniversary? You know, and I see this end display, and this end display has chainsaws right there. Okay, <laughs> and I say, hey, this is going to be great. I'll buy her a chainsaw. Now, would I love to get a chainsaw for her birthday? Yes, I, I would love. I would love that. You know, or for for anything for our anniversary. If she bought me a chainsaw, I said, great. But believe me, that's not going to do too much for, for Donna, okay? She, she's not going to really enjoy a chainsaw, right? Instead, I better move over a few aisles where the shoes are, the purses. Better yet, maybe I ought to go in another store and, <laughs> and look where the jewelry is or something like that. And, you know, that is going to get something that she's going to enjoy, right? As we give our gift of praise to God, we need to think, what will he appreciate? What would he be pleased with? What would truly honor and glorify him? 